1: And welcome to Out With Susie Ruffle. This is Series 3, Episode 12. Hello. Thank you for listening. Uh, Thank you so much to those of you that got in touch last week after Sean Faye's episode. It seemed that loads of you enjoyed that. It was one of the ones where I got loads of text messages from my friends as well saying how much they'd enjoyed it. So thank you so much if you listened or if you reached out and let me know you enjoyed it as ever you can always get in touch with me the email is hello com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook but I'm rarely on there if I'm honest I'm rarely on Facebook. Um, first of all I'm going to start with a little apology uh, my voice is very croaky because it's currently at 6.45 on a Sunday morning and this is the only time today that I have to record uh, the intro to the interview don't worry I didn't do the interview this early. Um, But that is because I am very excited to be part of a new Comedy Central series which starts this Thursday at 9, which is the 20th of May, uh, at 9 o'clock. It's called Yesterday, Today and the Day Before and it's a female-fronted topical show. And this week I'm doing it with Sophie, Duca and Maisie Adam. It's a rotating cast of brilliant women and I'm very excited to be part of it but it means... I'm, I'm just writing on it constantly and working with the girls and we going to the studio tomorrow to record and it's all super exciting but it means this is the only time I can do the intro and it means that you get my morning croaky voice so I'm sorry about that but hey this is all I could do so we're here uh, I hope that you're all having a good week uh, I think we've got a really great interview coming up today but as always I will share a couple of listener emails I mentioned the email address before if you want to get in touch please do okay let's share this one I will also let you know that during this email, I use a um, a, a queer slur, which some of you might not like, um, but I'm just sharing a story, and I think it's totally up to people what language they choose to use. Okay, here we go. Oh, please say this in a chirpy way I love so much thank you and I apologize for my ramblings in advance I'm writing to you this evening from my garden which I've called the purple patio I named it after the pink palace which in it's a sin which I know we both love I do you then tell me your name which is a beautiful Irish name um because you're Irish and then you make reference to the fact that we're both Irish which I loved because um it means that you've listened to the titly episode. I'm coming to you with a suggestion for a guest, and the reason why I think he would be a fabulous guest lies within my story. I grew up in a rural town in the Midlands. I'm slightly younger than you at 25, and unlike you, people around me had representation of what gay was, although I didn't make the connection. I was first called a faggot at five in the schoolyard. Growing up, the taunting got worse, although while at an all-boys primary school, it wasn't at its worst. When I went to secondary school at thirteen, me and my then school friends were divided into two different schools. The boys who went to the different secondary school gave me horrendous bullying, to the point where I couldn't walk down the main street of my hometown. The boys who joined me at secondary school asked if the only reason I hung out with them was because I fancied them. These boys I was in crush with. I was devastated, so I hung around with the girls instead. Side note, this is five years before the marriage referendum, for reference. While I was walking to meet friends at 6pm on a Sunday evening, I got attacked. I got called a faggot from a car, and it's the first time I ever stood up for myself. A 24-year-old six-foot man attacked me and caused a lot of damage to my face and teeth. After this, I moved home for a year where, before starting school, an immediate family member told me to walk more straight to not draw attention. This was not homophobia, but pure fear for my safety. At 16, I came out to my mum. I remember us watching EastEnders and saying, What if I didn't like girls? What if I like boys instead? I remember physically looking for the words in the air to see if I could put them back in my mouth. My mum was fine, she said that she knew. Later that night we were chatting and she asked me if it was a phase. I said no because years before I'd already accepted that I would never have kids and I didn't want them to get bullied for having a gay dad. I didn't want my family to feel awkward if I kissed my husband at the wedding reception. For that reason I would never marry. She cried. I will always remember that day, not for being the day that I came out, but for being the day that I broke my mother's heart. Since then, in 2015, the marriage referendum took place. In 2015, queer people had to go from door to door in Ireland and ask for permission to be treated like everyone else. In 2015, and this is why I need to be brave, I did not vote and facing the shame around that is my biggest fear to date. I was so wrapped up in internalised homophobia that I didn't believe marriage would ever be an option. I'm so ashamed. In one county in Ireland the referendum passed by nine votes. Nine people. I know 18 homophobes that could have changed that vote in that county. A year or two later, I was watching TED Talks and I stumbled on a TED Talk from Panty Bliss, also known as the Queen of Ireland or Rory O'Neill. And if you don't know, Panty Bliss is a drag queen. She described my experience, my shame, like nobody else. Her words were like poetry and ignited a fight within me. Rory is an icon. He's a happily married HIV plus role model in Ireland and he's my hero. Since then, I've worked on embracing myself. I'm a resilient, feminine, rugby-playing creative who works as an accountant. Have you ever seen so many contradictions in one sentence? And Susie, I effing love every minute of it. I can now imagine myself having kids. And I'll also get married one day if I find the right person, but only in Vegas. I know I can't describe the video enough in words or ever do it justice, so I've attached the link. Uh, You can find it on YouTube if you wanna watch as well. You should watch it, it is absolutely brilliant. If you don't reply to this or even read this email out, please watch the video. And if you decide to reach out to Rory, please read him this email. I've seen him in person, but I've been too shy to speak. Maybe one day I'll be brave enough next time you're in ireland for a gig i'll be there i'll buy you a pint of guinness and the crack will be mighty you've been a godsend in this pandemic your interviews have made me laugh and cry and i recommend it to everyone much love p thank you so much i think you're absolutely right panty bliss would be a brilliant panty bliss or rory who, whatever i should call them um, would be an absolutely brilliant guest i am going to uh, reach out to them for series four and if they're available maybe they'll come and chat to us Um, And I highly recommend the TED Talk that our friend from the email recommended. uh, TED Talk, Panty Bliss, you'll find it. It's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for getting in touch. I hope you have a lovely time. Maybe you're listening to this right now on the Purple Patio. Um, Thank you for reaching out. And I'm so pleased that you've enjoyed the podcast. And it sounds like you're absolutely smashing it now in in spite of feeling like you need to be a bit braver. It sounds like you're getting braver all the time. Okay, let's go to another email. Hi Susie, I know you hear this a lot as well, you should, but your podcast has been a bit of a revelation to me and it's absolutely incredible. Please keep up the good work. I've been particularly enjoying learning more about experiences of your trans and asexual guests. Thank you for being so inclusive. I'm a bisexual woman. However, I only accepted this relatively late in life. I always knew, but I always pushed those non-heteronormative thoughts away. Section 28 really did a number on all of us in the LGBTQA community in the UK who are old enough to be affected by it. For most of my life I forced myself into believing that I was straight. Nothing I was taught at school, by my family or in the media told me anything other than this was a viable option. It finally all came to a head when I realised I didn't love my wonderful boyfriend of many years in the way that I felt I should and I could no longer hide that side of me. I eventually managed to tell him everything. He was everything I could have asked for and more. Despite the obvious pain he felt, he was nothing but supportive and I can never thank him enough. I've come out to many people over the years and I'm so lucky to have a very supportive family. Interestingly, a lot of my friends from uni have since come out since we graduated. Clearly we were bonding over some unspoken truths. The only negatives I've ever had being bisexual have come from gay women. One person in particular sticks in mind, my first ever girlfriend at 31. She could never accept that side of me and was adamant that my bisexuality didn't exist. I've heard the expression that it's a stepping stone to being gay more often than I care to remember. Having members of the community you feel you belong to tell you that what you feel isn't real is pretty awful. I'm now happily married to a wonderful woman who is totally accepting. We have no secrets. Thank you for making me feel seen in your podcast and for standing up for bisexual people. People don't set up for one gender or another. They're just in a monogamous relationship. Thank you for all you do and for encouraging the LGBTQIA community to understand and love our differences. Our differences should be celebrated together. I hope to see you live sometime. Kirsty. Thank you so much for writing in. I really appreciate that. I try really hard to make sure everyone feels like they're represented in some way in the podcast. And I'm really pleased that you feel like you do. And I'll be constantly working really hard to make sure that people do and to make sure it feels as inclusive and as celebratory as possible. Um, I'm still working on that asexual episode. I currently have an interview for it. I was hoping to have a number of interviews so it could be. Um, uh, lots of different perspectives from the asexual community I'm still working on that Uh, but all I can do is reach out to people and hope that they'll come back to me and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't but I want you to know that I'm trying Um, but thank you Kirstie, thank you for your email and um, I'm so pleased that you found love and um, and that you feel seen okay, let's get on to today's brilliant interview I was very excited uh, for this one I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did Hello, listener. I am very excited for today's conversation. Ryan O'Connell is an American writer, actor, director, comedian, LGBTQ activist and disability advocate. He's known for his 2015 memoir, I'm Special and Other Lies We Tell Ourselves, about his life as a gay man with cerebral palsy, which he adapted to the television series Special for Netflix, which I absolutely loved. If you haven't seen it, you've got to go on it. It's so good. He also worked as a television writer on shows such as Awkward, Daytime Divas and Will and grace. In 2019, he was honored with the Visibility Awards by the Human Rights Campaign and was the Celebrity Grand Marshal for the LA Pride Parade. And Queerty named him one of the Pride 50 trailblazing individuals who actively ensure society remains moving forward for equality, acceptance, and dignity for all queer people. Yes, please. In 2019, Special was nominated for four Primetime Emmys and the second series is about to drop on Netflix. I don't think I've ever said drop before, it feels very American, but seeing as he's American, I threw it in there for you. It is an absolute honor to have him on out today. Welcome to the show, Ryan.
0: Thank you. Oh my God. I feel like when people call me like an advocate or an activist, it makes me loll because I feel like being gay disabled, I'm considered political before I even open my mouth. Like, yes. I, like I self-identify as a bimbo. Like all I want to <laughs> do is like, all I want to do is like be Nora Ephron, but because I'm like gay and disabled, I'm like, okay, she's an <laughs> activist. Like she's like this. So I'm like, okay. Okay.
1: I'll, I'll change all of the intro and just say, guys,
0: it's the gay Nora Ephron. Get ready. Totally. No, and and he's a fucking idiot. He's a little He is fucking, and wants to earn that, you know, he has a right to be just stupid. You know what I mean? A himbo. Yes, totally. That would would be so meaningful. It means so much to be seen for so little. You know what I mean? Okay,
1: great. Hello, listener. I'm so excited for today's conversation. (laughs) Ryan O'Connell is a himbo. He also has a show that's about to drop on Netflix. Let's get involved. That's gorgeous. I I love
0: it. I feel very seen. I feel very seen. (laughs) You're very welcome. Um, How are you today? Um, I'm good. I'm good. You know, just, uh, I just ate an avocado toast in front of you, which felt very vulnerable, but I feel like it really like broke the seal on our friendship and our relationships. So I'm really excited to where this is going to (laughs) go.
1: I'm really excited by that. I did feel like that as well. I was like, do you know what? He's already feeling this sort of positive in front of me to let me watch him eat. This is something special. Yeah. You're
0: like, wow, this is brave. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I, would, I, I was going to throw the word brave out but you know I didn't want to do it too early in the friendship. <laughs> totally, totally
0: that that happens in the midway mark when we talk about representation in my nude scenes yeah. I,
1: I would have thought so I, I mean sure I've got
0: it written down sure. Um, are, you,
1: are you coming are you coming live from LA?
0: I'm coming live from LA. Um, I have this like blue background because I'm in my office and the, the wall was painted blue before we moved in, but I'm going to have some wallpaper installed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, she's just living, laughing, and loving in Echo Park. <laughs> so just before we begin, what's LA like at the moment? So as you may or may not know, um, we experienced a winter surge where basically we were getting like 15,000 coronavirus cases a day, and it was, it was very bleak and very intense, and we experienced a lot of loss as a city, and we were very locked down and now um we now have like one of the lowest cases i think in the country and um it really feels like the city is coming alive again Uh, as someone who is profoundly locked down for about a year i'm fully vaccinated so she's back out in these streets um (laughs) i'm just raw dogging the air like i just don't (laughs) care and it feels good baby it feels good
1: i'm pleased to hear it and to hear i'm also double vaxxed which feels like um I know like my parents aren't yet double vaxxed, but I got really lucky because of my local authority in the area that I live in, they just had some left. So now I well, feel like there's elderly people that probably should have had my vaccine.
0: I got my vaccine that way too, because I knew very early on that our city wasn't gonna give a shit about anyone with a disability. So I was like, okay, she needs to take matters on her own hands, Tail is all this time. And I got a vaccine that would have been thrown out, like an overfill vaccine. You and I, I don't feel bad about that because even even when I went and got the extras, I, I saw that there was one extra dose that they just threw away.
1: And so, how are you feeling about the? As I mentioned before, I really loved Special. I thought it was really great. Are you excited to share the the new series? And are they half an hour episodes this time?
0: They're a half hour. They're they're just a like a real TV show, ma. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm really excited. There there's been two years between season one and two, and that's because of coronavirus. And I feel like I've been living with season two for so long. We started writing it back in September 2018. Um, But that's a long time. It's a long time. We we shot the first four episodes and then we shut down because of the pandemic and we finished it in October of 2020. It it feels like it's been a long winding road, but TBH, like what about the show has ever been fucking easy? Um, So it feels really good to give birth to it. Like I feel like I'm fully crowning. And as 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 a man, I can say that because that's my lived experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I'm, and I'm pleased you have. Um, for anyone that's listening that hasn't yet seen Special, I don't want to like put it in my word. Like, can I have it in your words? Like, what it is about and what? Yeah, sure. What um, if you're not sick of doing that for people, I'm sorry.
0: No, 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 please. Um, Special is about a 28 year old gay man, Mr. palsy named Ryan, who is living a very arrested development life. He lives at home with his mom, but then he gets hit by a car and he starts a new internship where people think his limp is from his car accident. And Ryan decides that being seen as an accident victim is much easier than being labeled with having cerebral palsy, which is something people don't really understand. So he decides to rewrite his life as an accident victim, and it gives him the courage to go out the life that he wants.
1: And how much of it, because I've read the article that you wrote about coming out of the disabled closet, but how much of it is true? Like how much of it did you, how much of it is sort of created and how much of it is like drawn from your life?
0: The inciting incident is true. I I did get hit by a car. In real life, it was much more serious, much more harrowing. I was in the hospital for a long time. I had multiple surgeries. However, um, I did move to New York after my car accident and people just assumed my limp was from my accident. I had a lot of internalized ableism surrounding my cerebral palsy. I I never felt like I belonged in the disabled community because I had a more mild case. So to me, becoming an accident victim was a way for me to feel like a true sense of belonging for the first time now that being said when you lie about who you are spoiler there's going to be problems um but at the time i thought i was doing this amazing life hack and life was going to open up to me in this new exciting way and to be fair it kind of did it gave me the confidence to like get laid and like be with boys because again like ryan the accident victim deserved all the dicks in the world but Ryan to see he suffered, deserved none. Uh, um, So that that journey is true. um, But everything else is pretty fictionalized. Like, I lost my virginity at 17. I moved out when I was 18. So I was much more, I think, evolved and self-actualized than our sad character of Ryan.
1: I loved that Ryan in the show loses his virginity to a sex worker. Mm -hmm. Because all of the stigma around that, it's such a beautiful scene it's so tender and sweet and was that really important to you to have for it not to be i don't know to, to, for it to be sort of let me get the like let me get the words right for how i want to explain what i'm trying to say was it important? yeah you better i'm gonna cancel your fucking ass <laughs> we've already talked about canceling me so <laughs> i I'm, I'm i'm absolutely terrified i'm on tender, <laughs> to <be> honest. Um, <laughs> But was it, was that important to you for it to be like equality for like, like all of the characters sort of are having their own, I don't know. There was something about it that I feel like I've never seen on television. Oh, yeah.
0: Right. That was sort of the point. I think yeah. with that scene, I was, I was trying to accomplish a lot of different things. Number one, I, I wanted to show gay sex for what it was because I mm-hmm. feel like gay sex representation in TV and film is really bleak. It's like either it's two gay guys fucking secret in the woods and it's very like internal esophobia vibes or it's like very porny and eroticized and it's like, mm, mm, mm. it's like perfect abs, like fucking like bunnies, et cetera, et cetera. So I really, really wanted to create something that felt very realistic and true to life. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to humanize sex work because I've used sex workers in the past, I'm obsessed and I think um, they provide an amazing service and I, I just feel like they have not um, been granted the humanity that they deserve. And also I wanted to, sexualize a disabled person it's so sad you know when you're born disabled into society they actually cut off your penis uh and then donate it to science and then you walk around like a ken doll you've been completely desexualized um so that was my way of being like you know it, disabled people are sexy. They have agency. Mm-hmm. They have desires, and like you're going to feel something. Maybe you'll get a boner. We'll see.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's exactly. I mean, I didn't get a boner, but that's that's more to do with my anatomy. But I think the scene did right. exactly that. That it felt, if you know, it's hot. It's a hot sex scene, and I don't feel like we've seen that before.
0: Totally, totally, totally. And it's it's important for me when I'm when I'm writing something that tries to accomplish something or say something that I never actually just sang it. Like, I don't want to ever be like preachy or didactic about anything. And I think that sometimes when we, we get caught up in like the identity politics of something, when we're writing to that and you're like, you almost forget just like the relationships and the characters. So it was really important to me that that sex scene feel, felt like you were being fed your vegetables, but you didn't realize they were vegetables because they were covered in sugar. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yes, I do know what you mean. It was like it was in a smoothie. But then afterwards Absolutely. I like, was like, oh, I do feel
0: good. Totally. Like it was a disgusting, like trash jamba juice. Do you guys have jamba juice in the UK? I
1: don't
0: think we um, do. Jamba juice is like literally putting like Starbursts in a blender and like no like, like it's sort of like and, like when I, when I was like 12, I thought I was like being healthy. I was like, I'm gonna get a smoothie. And I'm like, I'm just fully eating ice cream. So there right. you go. Okay. Yeah.
1: It's interesting you say about. What you were saying then about about sort of desexualizing disabled folk, I read in an article, and you'll have to let me know if this is true, but is it true that when you realised
0: you were gay, like your response was, that's rude?
1: Yeah, I mean, yes,
0: of course. It was not the combo menu that I would have ordered off the intersectional menu, for sure. Um, It was like, because to me, my experience with gayness was the show, the US version of Queer as Folk, which felt very eroticized very focused on looks Mm -hmm. and um I was like well I'm never going to be able to have sex like that I don't look like Brian Kenny I don't like have have a perfect body so I really really internalized that and I never envisioned there would be any space for someone like me in the gay world for sure like I like to me getting realizing I was gay was like getting a, a sentence of celibacy you know what I mean
1: yeah and now you've created that like you, you've created the space for yourself, but also putting out something like special is it yeah. Is, and I'm not, and I'm
0: not celibate, can you believe?
1: I'm and I'm delighted for you. So where so did you grew up in California? Is that right?
0: I did Ventura. Uh, it's an hour north of Los Angeles. It's a sleepy, beautiful, blue-collar beach town, which of course I. I felt deeply oppressed by and couldn't wait to leave. I was like, this beautiful weather and this beach must stop.
1: Was that because it was like, I mean, in my mind, I mean, I live in London, so like in my mind, I'm like, is that a place where you're like surfing? Everyone's got like
0: hot rod bods. Well, it's sort of that vibe except there's like not a lot of money. So it's like very approachable attractiveness and like very, real, like, it's like, it's, not, like, <laughs> um, so it's like, not intimidating, let's be honest. Um, but no, I mean, it was, it was very beachy. It had a strong beach culture. Obviously, like, I didn't give a shit about the beach. Um, but I think it's just natural to like always just like not like where you grew up because mm-hmm. it's like your one point of reference. And, you know, you, you think you're basically like Belle and the Beauty and the Beast. And you're like, can I speak more to this provincial life? <laughs> like, you, could, you could say that like living in Los Angeles or something. You know what I mean? You just want something different. Um, but looking back, I'm like, Wow. I really kind of lucked out. What a great place to, like, grow up.
1: And is it true that you came out in a video to a bunch of your friends?
0: I did, yeah. So, like, I had a sexuality reveal party, which is, I would say, much less harmful than gender reveal party because, you know, gender was a construct and no one had to die. Um, to, <laughs> But basically, uh, yes, I came out to a lot of people like by appointment um and then i had so many other people and i was so exhausted by the manual labor of it all that i decided to like come out to everyone else via a party um and i did film a video with my best girlfriend where we're slow dancing and she goes in for a kiss and i reject her kiss and she's devastated and she asked why why can't we kiss why can't we be together and then i turned to the camera and say because i'm gay and Everyone cheered. Everyone was so excited. I had had gift bags full of like phallic penis pasta that I bought at the mall, um, like gag gifts. And I had pictures of Morrissey and Mar. There's the UK of it all. Um, We thank you for that. Yeah, of course. I'm just, you know, pandering to my audience, um, and and basically, it was it was an absolute delight. And then it was all downhill from there. <laughs> just kidding, but also kind of not. Like, I, I did it backwards. Like I I had a really dreamy coming out experience, and I and I fell. I got a boyfriend and fell in teenage love and lost my virginity, and it was heaven. And then when my boyfriend and I broke up, as you do when you're 18 years old, um, it. It really, really rattled me, and because like I, when I got my boyfriend and had this amazing experience, I felt like I, I didn't deserve any of it. I felt like it was I couldn't believe that any of this was happening to me. I couldn't believe that I was having sex as a as a high schooler. I thought that was reserved for only able-bodied, hot people. So when my when my boyfriend and I broke up, it, I I didn't go back in the closet because I mean, she you know you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. But I basically became like homosexual in theory, but not in practice. I like, that's when I started a long stretch to busy Cause to me, having my boyfriend break up with me like confirmed my worst fears, which is that like, I wasn't deserving of love that this had been some bizarre fluke. And like, that's all she wrote, you know? So it was an interesting kind of, I don't think it was a traditional arc for queer narratives for sure.
1: And was it around that time that you were writing and you were sort of finding your voice in another way?
0: I was. I mean, it took me a while to really... (laughs) When there's no model for anyone like you to succeed, you, like, it takes a a second for you to trust your instincts and trust your voice. Like, to me, to me, writing was, like, writing with a capital W, where, like, you write about, like, desert roads and alcoholism and the bougainvillea. And, like, I didn't want to write about the bougainvillea. I just, like, wanted to write about, like, dicks. And, like, (laughs) and, like, but, like, there was no, like, model for writing about dicks and, like, texting and, like, this and that. And it, it took me a while because sometimes I'd have these, like, I also just on a structural level, like, didn't really know how to write. I had a voice, but I didn't really know how to harness that correctly and how to like, cover up for my lack of structural ability. Um, but I started writing for this blog after graduation called Thought Catalog. And, you know, it was it was a different time. It was 2010. It was, like very peak Obama years, like, of people, like, having the luxury to, like, worry about the price of a latte rather than, like, climate change or crumbling democracy. Um, so I wanted to write about things that I was going through, which was, you know, feeling a lot of the feelings, not having a sense of purpose, feeling a lack of self-worth, doing, you know, the bad things because doing the good things didn't feel so good, like, wanting to burn it all to the ground, not really understanding why. And people really latched on to those articles that I wrote. And that kind of kind of catapulted my career um, from there. Because That's how I got my book deal. And obviously my book is the thing that got turned into a TV series. Um, writing was always like my safe space. It was the way for me to make sense of my world. It was also a way for me to feel in control. And I'm like a huge, huge control freak. And I think when you're writing, you are able to tell your story. You are the architect. Of your own narrative. And I think um the Virgo-ness of me really got off on that. And I felt like I was safe as long as I was the one in control telling it. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, totally. I think that's why special feels so authentic, because it doesn't feel like something that has a huge
0: writer's room where there's lots of no, Oh, just, just me. It yeah. was just me. season one was just me. Season two, we had a little writer's room.
1: But 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 because of that, it does feel like it's I wasn't surprised when I read that you had written it your, like by yourself, because I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was hell. I would not, not recommend. Um, I had to break a whole season of television by myself. It was difficult. I felt very much like carrying home land. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think you know it worked out, obviously. But season two, I was really grateful to have a writer's room because I feel like we were able to open things up a little bit little bit I feel like it felt less myopic and I just mm. I really like collaborating I'm a collaborative bitch and I think well you've you know,
1: written on loads of other stuff haven't you so that's yeah
0: yeah so writing alone I mean I love writing alone I don't have a writing partner like I'm used to that but like in terms of actual tv and like structure and like breaking the entire season of tv like I'm used to doing that with other people because mm-hmm. spoiler it's very hard to do by yourself <laughs> like like one episode is fine like the pilot is fine like an entire season holy shit that is a lot of work um, so yeah, I was very much used to being in a writer's room and bouncing off ideas and building on something and the spontaneity and the creativity like that is really exciting. It's not as fun when it's just you alone in some weird cafe, like trying to like figure something out.
1: Reading the same line over and over and over again. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's not, yes. not there's something that's not quite.
0: If only there was someone to talk to, dot, dot, dot. Yeah.
1: Um, is it true that you used to ask to receive TV scripts for Christmas? I did. It-
0: yes. Yeah, yeah. This is my this is my backhanded way of saying I was a wonderkind. I was a child prodigy. I was so fucking smart. Um. No. I mean, I I did. I did. I I was obsessed with TV. I I watched shows with the closed captioning on so that it could resemble a script. I would watch shows and I would keep. I still have my notebooks from when I was like in fourth grade and I would keep a tally of how many scenes each character was in so i could like assign like who was in the a plot who was in the b plot like i could figure it out um so i mean as a parent if my kid was doing this i'd be like we hit the lottery like thank god this kid has like a passion like we're gonna be okay we might even be rich you know um but uh but at the time i'm sure it was very strange but she knew what she wanted
1: were you popular at school? Like, you're talking about having, like, a coming out
0: party. I was. <laughs> I was. And by the way, like, I feel like that's something that we don't really, I mean, I, I feel like I was always very popular because I felt like as a gay disabled person, I looked at how the world was made up and was like, okay, she's going to need to have some strategies to make it through this world alive. <laughs> like, she's going she's to have some little magic tricks. You know what I mean? It's going to be a little, like, and so I just felt like immediately I knew, I knew to be disarming, and I knew how to appear palatable, and I knew that I needed to make people laugh because, um, you know, first impressions were going to be challenging, and so I just always needed to figure out how to make people at ease with my identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got me a lot of friends. And um, you know, in high school, I was in high school. I went to a very strange high school where it was a technology high school. Um, it was a public school, but it was like sports were banned; they were not allowed, and it was all academic. Like we had pep rallies, but for people that were on the honor roll, rather than people that were playing sports. So it was like a, it was a it was a high school where the geeks reigned supreme, and it was like my utopia i was like the regina george a gay guy with a limp was the regina george like truly i was like very mean and bitchy and like but also like talk about like the understanding like survival like i i kind of needed to learn how to be cutting to like have people be a little scared of me because i was scared of them quite frankly and i needed to like let them know that i wasn't fucking around and you don't want to come for me you know what i mean
1: Totally. And we've said this on the show before, especially when we've talked to when I've spoken to other comics where like often you have to say the th- like you have to make a joke out of the thing that you're scared they're going to make a joke out of so that it's done and it's done funnier. So of course. You, so and that you're in
0: control. And that you're yeah. again, that you're crafting your own narrative that you're calling the shots. Yeah, absolutely.
1: One thing I wanted to ask you about was, um, does it feel like there's a lot of weight on you? with regards to representation because it feels like I mean you know I watch obviously a lot of American shows we don't get everything over here we get lots of stuff and it does feel like I mean I certainly think that you guys get a lot more queer television there's loads like you know because you have networks and it's a bigger place and all that stuff we get maybe one show every four years and a lesbian show I mean that's one that's once a decade if we're lucky but obviously you know writing the queer story but then also writing the disabled story did it feel like oh, I've got to get this right, or I I need to make sure that everyone's happy. Like, how did that feel? It did,
0: it did. I mean, disability representation in TV and film is I would say abysmal. Yeah, Um, for sure. It's been, been, I have to be honest, it's been a little frustrating because I feel like in the last five years, there's been a lot of discussion around diversity and inclusion in Hollywood. And I think um, conversations have really deepened around gender, around sexual identity, around race, and obviously we have a long way to go but like but it's really in the zeitgeist you know what i mean Mm -hmm. whereas disability still gets left out of those conversations which blows my mind because statistically speaking um one in four people identify as being disabled so we're a huge huge chunk of the population and that does not match the level of which our stories are being told and it is a little crazy making because mm. on one hand, like, you know, you watch and you're like, this is so amazing. Like we we really are headed. Progress is being made and we are headed in a better direction. But like, how is this, how is disability constantly left out of the discussion? People don't even think about us. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, it's an interesting marginalized group where like, I don't think people have malice towards us, especially in the way that they have towards other marginalized groups in terms of like, hate crimes or whatever. Um, but it's like we're not even thought of at all. Mm. It's like we it's like we truly don't exist. And that's like for a variety of different reasons. Number one, our society isn't accessible. So mm. on a very on a very literal level, disabled people are kept out of spaces. So we're not even like we're not even out and about. We're not even Yeah no, in the
1: conversation. Let alone Yeah exactly.
0: Yeah. And like I also think like if you want to go deeper about it, I think that people are profoundly uncomfortable with disability because it reminds them of uh, aging and their general mortality and fallibility i mean if you the chance the reality is is that if you live long enough, you will become disabled in some way that is that is your future like that is going to happen to you, and I think people are really, really uncomfortable with that. It's sort of how we deal with like older people in our society, which is we just put them in nursing homes and we don't really want to look look at them. I mean, we live in a very youth-obsessed culture. We live in a culture that measures our value in terms of what our bodies can do in terms of exercise and fitness. And I think uh, disability is the antithesis of all of that, or at least people see it that way. Um, and I think it makes people not want to see it and not want to deal with it. And that... That's a challenging thing because that's like those are societal attitudes that are so sewn into us that I don't think people are even conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, being one of the—I mean—I think I'm—I'm—I I, don't want to like—I'm sure I don't have all my stats, you know, perfect, but I would say I'm one of the only disabled showrunners, if the only disabled showrunner. I mean, there are disabled writers and they're, and they're working. There's not enough, but to be at this level is extremely rare um and it's really hard because like I can't tell you how many fucking panels I go to talking about representation of Hollywood which like now I'm just like I'm not doing anymore because I, I get too salty and I'm like so bitter embittered by the whole thing because it's like I hate being the only disabled person on a panel I hate having to speak for a large swath population disability runs the gamut like there's so many different kinds of life experiences I hate that when special ends, there's no one to pass the baton to. There's no like, see what I'm saying? Like, like it's actually crazy and so depressing. And I, I feel like Hollywood pats itself on the back is like, like we did the, the disabled show and he was gay. So we get double vote points for that. And then they can be like, Well, we're done. We did that. Mm-hmm. And um it's very, very frustrating. I would love nothing more than to have other disabled people with me and hopefully hopefully, like, I gain more power in my career where I can, like, supervise other projects and, like, shepherd other people and bring them to have their own show. That's really, really what I want. And I think when I even think about, like, doing press, for example, mm-hmm. and, you know, um, you know, uh, selling the donuts as it is, it's like a, I see it as a way to gain more visibility, to gain more power so that it's easier to push the content through. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like sure. ha- having, having a bigger name to me is not about fame or recognition. It's like, how do I get into a room and make it so this person's like, oh, well, we have to buy a shit because he's Ryan O'Connell. Like, it's like, a, you know what I mean? Like, and then it's like, ha, ha, ha. Like, so it's all kind of a means to an end for me. And the, the, the end is making it easier for content like mine and in other people like me pushing it through and getting it done. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely because and it's it's so infuriating when you know, as you say, like someone like Hollywood, or for us, it's like you know the BBC or whoever else. Sort of going, we've done. You know, the only experience that I've got. You know, I can only speak as a, a sort of a cis able-bodied woman. But you know, you know, I get a lot of like, we've done the the lesbian sitcom. We've done, right. uh, you know, or like, oh, that lesbian's got that special. We can't put yours out at a similar time. You know, all that sort of stuff. You know, what should happen is that when a show like yours has done so well, it should go. Wow, there's a real appetite for this wow, this is so exciting. This is so exciting. Oh my God, all these stories that we haven't told before. And there's this whole gambit of people who's, you know, how many times have we seen these same sort of straight rom-coms? Like these brand new stories that could be, you
0: know, that people will love because it's something new. Like if you get the slightest whiff of gay on something, like you'll show up and you'll see it because we're so starving for anything. Like Happy Season, I think was one of the top rated, um, movies on Hulu it was a huge success and it was a it was a Christmas movie but with a lesbian couple so here's the deal like I liked Happy Season I thought it was good I thought that one woman what was her name Mary something was a comedic genius um but like partially I think why it was so successful was that it was just like a lesbian rom-com and it was also like I mean that movie was sort of strange in terms of the conceit of like her like forcing her girlfriend back into the closet. I was like, that's fucked up. But anyway, beyond that, <laughs> beyond that, it wasn't outwardly about our trauma. It was like, like, like basically, queer people were granted a formulae fun, like easy to digest, like Christmas rom com and like
1: happy ending, which is so wait. rare in a gay film.
0: Exactly, 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 and it's like that, and like it's not a surprise to me that that was such a huge success because a we don't have much representation. So when we do, it's like, oh my God. And then B, like, it wasn't a movie all about our trauma. I mean, it was part of it, obviously, because I think Kristen Stewart has a lot of trauma, but it was done in this way that was in this very familiar storytelling. You know what I mean? And it was very funny. And like, I I just, am like, this is so obvious. And I, like, I feel like in my work, sometimes people don't know what to do with me because I feel like, when you're telling a disabled queer narrative it needs to be done in this like elevated high art kind of bleak award season way yeah very earnest very thoughtful yes and i'm like i just want to make like nora Ephron. i just want to be like you know what i mean like i just want to be nora Ephron. Like, like like let me be nora Ephron. like i i want to tell stories that have to do with our identity for sure and i want to say things that matter and i want it to be meaningful but i also I don't want to do trauma porn and I don't want to do something that like, you know, where like a Sia song plays in the background as someone like looks out the window as like the rain falls down and they're like wearing a hoodie and they feel sad. Like, I don't want to do that. Can you please
1: write like when Harriet met Sally? Well, Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. That's actually really funny. Um, no, I mean like, but like that's the kind of stuff that I want to make and I should be allowed to make that. And I think, I think that's why Happy Season was so successful was that they, again, they took a very familiar genre, they infused it with queerness and it was palatable to everybody. Like Mm -hmm. everybody, I felt like it was just, I don't know, it's just, um, it's interesting and it's not surprising to me that it was so successful.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that comes up again and again where if it's something that is non-straight. It's like it's got to be worthy.
0: Conversion therapy. Someone's clock claw- Someone's gonna get kicked out of their house. Someone's yeah. gonna get. Be- someone's gonna get beaten with a baseball bat. Like, like that is, that that is what we've been told has value. Like, we mm-hmm. only have value when we're focusing on our trauma.
1: Whereas, as we know, gay people are the funnest people to hang out with. We're having the most fun, but, th- but no is one's filming it.
0: Crazy there's so much queer joy. Yeah. And by the way, like the queer joy is infused with trauma you can't separate the two. Like for, like, by the way, I think like the trauma, like the joy exists because of the trauma, Mm -hmm. not, not, not despite it. Do you know what I mean? And that's something to do with
1: the resilience of the queer community as well, of taking that and being like, yeah, and I'm still going to have a fucking great life and I'm still going to be celebrated and I'm still going to find my joy.
0: Exactly. So like to create narratives that like ignore the trauma is not realistic. But to me, you need to have both. I mean, really, it's, it's not complicated. Like, when I write something, I just write something that's true to life. Like, that's all. I don't think about checking boxes. I don't think about, like, the big overarching theme. Like, I mean, sort of I do. But, like, I just try to write from a place of characters and relationships that feel real. That's it. Period. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Um, I've really loved this conversation. I'm going to ask you the final question, which we ask everyone on the show sure. um, because of the listeners that we have and because of the kind of emails we get in. It's amazing. The community is like really reach out and we get people um, from all over the world. Some that live in countries where homosexuality is yet to be decriminalized, which is, you know, a- a- amazing that maybe we create a little bit of a community in some way for, for those folk as well. But um, if you could give a piece of advice, now you can either think of it as to like teenage Ryan, Or maybe Ryan in his twenties, so you'd had that sort of love moment and then it felt sort of sad for you. Or maybe someone that's listening that really identifies with part of your story. Um, If you could like reach through the podcast sphere and like, you know, throw an arm around them or give them a bit of advice or a bit of hopefulness, what would you say?
0: I would say you can fight who you are, but it's a fight you're never going to win. Um, I spent 28 years in some form of a closet. The first 17 years was my homosexuality. And then I was closeted about my CP till I was 28. I was fundamentally denying an aspect of who I was for such a long time for the bulk of my life. And when I came out about my CP at 28 and really just was living my authentic self, like my life just almost went into like fast forward motion. Like things just started to happen for me. Like I found my boyfriend who I'd been with for six and a half years, like my show got made. Like I just like like everything I've wanted to happen sort of happened, and I did that because I was able to fully be myself, and it's an incredible, powerful thing. And I feel sad for former me that felt like I needed to hide who I was. Queerness and cerebral policy bought my house. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like this is the reason why I have a detached office studio. Like, this is the studio that CP and Anal Sex built, just to be clear. You <laughs> know what I mean? And, like, it's, like, coming into your power and your agency, I think, obviously, everyone lives in different areas. And what you said about, you know, where you come from does play a factor. I do find, though, that people really react to authenticity. Um, and they're just drawn to it. and. Um, I just think that the sooner you can really live your authentic self, the better it's going to be for you because it's like, again, like you can't win otherwise. Do you know what I mean?
1: That's a perfect place to end the conversation. Now the week that we are releasing this episode is the week that series two, I'm going to say it again, drops. Oh, so American. I'm loving it. Uh, Drops on Netflix. Um, What is
0: is, is the English way of saying? Oh, I think we'd say um, it's released oh wow so like we just made it dramatic for no reason
1: but you're american that's what you would do makes sense right
0: (laughs) so to drag us straight to hell it. yeah
1: (laughs) that's how how we've got to end right then now you can cancel me Uh, um but yeah so but make sure that you watch the first series first it's absolutely brilliant honestly it is i was so thrilled to have you on the show thank you so much for giving me your time and i'm so excited to see what you do next
0: thank you thank you for having me
1: Well, I loved that episode. I really hope you did too. Um, Special is absolutely brilliant. The first series is on Netflix right now. I think the second series is on in about a week Um, so catch up with it it's absolutely brilliant as ever you can get in touch with me my email is hello at outwithsusieruffell.com I'm also on twitter and instagram if you enjoy the show please tweet about it please tell your friends you can also rate and review it on the apps I'd appreciate if you did that and I will be back next week with another episode until then take care of yourself and thank you so much for listening bye (laughs)